thank you for joining me for this episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Today on the show, I have Box Brown. I met Box while he was visiting the comic book shop in Delaware. That is my local haunt for buying my comics. He was making an appearance to promote his book, Is This Guy For Real? The Unbelievable Andy Kaufman. And if you recall from earlier episodes of Creator Talks, I mentioned that I did see Andy Kaufman way back in the 70s when he was opening for Sha Na Na at the Valley Forge Music Theater and did his Elvis impersonation and performance. So naturally, I wanted to talk to Box Brown about his book and his research on Andy Kaufman. His actual name is Brian Brown, and he is an Ignatz Award-winning cartoonist, which is given to recognize outstanding achievements in the world of cartooning and comics for small press creators and creator-owned projects. Brian also won a Zurich grant in 2011 for his book, Love is a Peculiar Type of Thing. The grant is awarded to self-published comic book creators. Box also has two other publications, Tetris, The Games People Play, and Andre the Giant, Life and Legend. Box's latest book, Is This Guy For Real? The Unbelievable Andy Kaufman, focuses on his wrestling years. We talk quite a bit about Andy Kaufman, the impression he made on audiences back when he first appeared in the late 70s and early 80s, what a mad creative genius he was, and as you will hear, quite an impressive singer. Love him or hate him, he had a lot of guts and took a lot of risks. Andy Kaufman was truly one of a kind. Join me and Box as we talk about the unbelievable Andy Kaufman, here now on Creator Talks. Welcome to Creator Talks. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. My first question I have to ask you is, you go by Box. Now, did you select that name and why or did people give you that name? Was that a nickname? Uh, yeah, it was a nickname that I got when I was in college. And then um, I started using it as like my online moniker. Uh, when I first started drawing comics, I posted them on a live journal. And my live journal name was Box Brown. And I just kept the name since then. And why was it Box? How'd they go with Box? Uh, it was just a stupid nickname that I got when I was in college. I don't know. You know, it was like people started calling me that and that was it. Now you're fairly local to me. You're a guy from Philly. Lived there all your life? No, I grew up in uh, New Jersey, uh, like North Jersey. And I uh, lived in Jersey City for a few years. And then I moved to Philly in about uh, 2008, I think, 2007. Now, was that after school? I graduated in, like, 2002. Uh, I had just met my girlfriend, and uh, and uh, we moved in together. Now my wife, so I'm still here. So how would you sum up the Philadelphia experience since you moved there? It's been great. I really loved the city of Philadelphia, and uh, I consider it my, like, adopted home. Got this, like, small-town feel to it, but also it's a city, and there's a ton of people and a ton of different things going on all the time. I really like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool to head up there. It's not too far from me. It's like a 30-minute drive. And as of this recording, I was up there the previous weekend with my son where we went to a, um, a book signing. So uh, it was fun to go there, go to a different comic shop, check it out, never been there, and get back into Philly. But yeah, it's it's really convenient to have a, a nice city, a nice big city compared to Wilmington where I am uh, to go to. You are a cartoonist. And how would you define a cartoonist? What is that to you? Somebody that makes comics. I guess like you could say, sometimes people think uh, animators are cartoonists. I always think of a cartoonist as somebody who draws comics. 
of any kind. You know, recently people started to call comics that are longer graphic novels. It's really just all comics. Anytime you uh, doing a sequential uh, drawing. Now, is this what you do for a living, or do you have other work? No, this is my uh, my whole living. All right, you did write a book. It was a New York Times bestseller that you wrote about Andre the Giant. And you're a big wrestling fan, right? Huge wrestling fan from way back. And uh, following wrestling my whole life severely uh, influenced my thought process about a lot of things. It's really funny. So into the uh, art form, I really think uh, Andre's story is remarkable. We don't really get to hear too much about it. We did it. Now we do it more. But we didn't when I started writing that. We didn't really hear too much about Andre's real life and real issues. That, you know, you only heard a little bit about him getting uh, body slammed by Hulk Hogan. So I was just interested in Andre. And that's the thing about your books. You really get in behind the scenes about the people you're writing about. A lot of things people don't know about them. And uh, we're going to talk about Andy Kaufman. The book you wrote is this guy for real, the unbelievable Andy Kaufman. We're going to get to the book shortly, but have you ever tried stand-up comedy? I kind of used to do uh, a little bit of performance art when I was in college, if you can call it that. But no kind of... uh, no stand-up. I've thought about it before. I actually always have wanted to do improv before, too. Something like that would be interesting, but I never actually did it. it looks pretty tough to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sitting in definitely. the audience and saying, yeah, I'm just going to see how this turns out. Oh, you got to think yeah. fast, you know. <laughs> I give talks about my books here and there, and like, not that I have the people rolling in the aisles, but every once in a while I say something funny and it gets a laugh uh, in the crowd. And there, you do get a rush, a kind of amazing feeling when something like that happens. I hear you. Every once in a while, I'll say something that just hits people the right way, and when everybody busts up, you get a rush. <laughs> yeah, you do. And then it makes you think, oh, this is easy. I could do this. I think about it for one second. I could do this. No. <laughs> it's extremely difficult to, to keep the crowd rolling like that. Yeah, it's a real art. Now, about Andy Kaufman. I'm sure probably a lot of people have heard of him, even though it's been years since he passed away. But I think most people have heard of him. I don't think a lot of people have had a chance to see him perform live. I mean, you miss seeing him live in the 70s and 80s. But it was not experience for all of us back then because it was unlike anything else we'd ever seen before. You know, it wasn't your straight stand-up routine. Guy sets up this joke and then delivers the punchline. It was not like that at all. To be a member of his audience, you had to have patience. And you had to stick it out because it wasn't always funny at first. Andy wanted to test you and see who would stick around. And if you did, there was a payoff. But man, it took a while sometimes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it required uh, required you to figure it out a little bit and figure out that he was goofing. You kind of get in on it a little bit, but it takes time to understand that. And I, mean, I think that's what makes it great, though, his commitment to the character and um, ability to read the crowd and play the crowd was outstanding. And it's something you don't see very often. I feel like once in a while you see a comedian or, or somebody trying to do something in the, in the vein of Andy Kaufman, but it's never quite the same. No, it's truly performance art. It is not just comedy. He loved doing performance art, and he would stay in character the entire time he was doing something. He did not break character, no matter what he did. First time I saw him was on Saturday Night Live, and it was probably a tape recording because I wasn't allowed to stay up that late (laughs) at that time. (laughs) But uh, he did his Mighty Mouse routine where he plays the record, 
and he sings the song, Here I Come to Save the Day. It's Mighty Mouse. But he would only sing the line, Here I Come to Save the Day, and put out his arm, and, and he was just so into it. And you could see he was totally sincere, and that's the only thing he sang. And he just stood by the record and nervously watched. I mean, he, the way he acted, and it was acting. Yeah. He looked like a nervous guy up there on stage, and you really bought it. Every time I rewatched that, I find it remarkable, uh, the moments in between lip-syncing. The moments where he's standing there nervously waiting for his, his moment <laughs> where he's going to do his thing is like the best part of it. And he almost does it at the wrong time, almost but then he like cools himself down. Yeah, those are like the really remarkable genius moments of that bit. And it's why it's just so great. I mean, it's not just the punchline of that performance. It's the build up into the slow parts too. And the parts he looks like he's losing it are like the best part. I don't know what to do. I saw a lot of stuff on TV when I was growing up, and especially when I was in college. I saw a lot of it because I would stay up and watch Letterman. And it had been a long time since I'd seen those performances. So I, I went back today and I watched some of those. And I watched his first appearance on Carson where he did his Elvis impersonation, which when I saw you at your appearance at the comic shop, I told you about, I saw him open for Sha Na Na doing his Elvis Presley impersonation. And again, he threw you off. He came out, did the foreign man accent told bad jokes, lost everybody. What the heck is going on? Who is this guy? Why is he here? And then he breaks into Elvis, and that's when he won him over. Did the same thing on Johnny. Treat me like a fool. Treat me mean and cruel. But love me. Bring him off a beautiful heart. Tear it all apart. It was great. And we talked about the routine that he did. And I think I had seen this when it came out, but I watched it again today where he comes out in the turban on Letterman and he does belly dancing. <laughs> yeah, he does like that. Yeah. Some yoga moves. Yeah. He did. He did like this handstand. His whole body was horizontal to the ground and he was just on his hands. And it's like, wow, I can't do that. That's pretty impressive for anybody. And yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then it's just sword swallowing on TV. And you think he's not going to do it. You think he's just goofing. He does it. And then 
he sings a Slim Whitman song sincerely with everything he has. He has a really good voice. He always considers himself a song and dance man, not a comedian. The visual there, he's still got the, the giant turban on and like the diaper. And he's singing the song like super sincerely. I'm like, the more sincerely he sings it, like the more funny it is and silly it is. He looks so ridiculous. So like the more sincere his take is on it, like the stronger the bit overall is. And it's really great. It really does leave the crowd feeling good at the end of it. I love the song, the Slim Whitman song you sing. I saw a uh, a clip of him. It was actually the whole show of the Midnight Special with Wolfman Jack as host, which I remember watching that on TV. And Andy was the main feature of the show, and he actually had Slim Whitman on there. I guess that was his hero. He really wanted to see him. Yeah, he really did try to work with and find and scout his heroes growing up and get them involved in his shenanigans. You know, not just Slim Whitman, but Buddy Rogers. He had uh, Buddy Rogers come out on Saturday Night Live. He uh, did My Breakfast with Blassie, with classy Freddie Blassie. Slim Whitman stuff. Early on in his life, somebody came and played the bongos for his school. And he went and reached out, went to the guy's house, tried to get him to teach him to play bongos. Like, really wanted to go back and kind of salute these people. I heard an interview recently. It was on uh, Gilbert Godfrey's podcast. And he doesn't need my help. He doesn't need me to plug him. But <laughs> I do want to source where I heard this. So I, was, I don't know if you heard it. I listened to it. And he had on Andy's manager, George Shapiro. And he was telling the story of how, and we're familiar with this, both of us, uh, how Andy would read The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Until he practically cleared the room. And his manager said, look, um, you got to kind of rein this in a little bit. I mean, they don't want people leaving the club. You know, that's how they make money. So can you short it up a little bit and then do something funny? He's like, well, okay. And they negotiated. So like, okay, I'll do it for like a minute and a half. So there was a, an appearance on Saturday Night Live where he started doing that. He was reading The Great Gatsby. And of course the audience is like, uh, but he doesn't have all night, right? So he says, okay, you have a choice. I could read to you The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald or... I can play this record. And, you know, the crowd's like, oh, the record, because they've seen the Mighty Mouse routine. He puts it on, and it's him reading The Great Gatsby on the record. <laughs> now, that's brilliant. That is freaking brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so great. That's, like, the best. I love how he would do stuff like that. And, like, he would do this bit Tony Cliff where he would have somebody come out and make the whole crowd put their cigarettes out and be like, Tony Clifton will not perform in a smoky room. <laughs> You know, and then they all put their cigarettes out. And then then finally, 
Cody Slippin comes out of stage and he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's like the best thing. Like the crowd's just like, what? I heard in his interview, the one I was listening to with George Shapiro, that the happiest day for him was when he got fired. Or not, not him, I'm sorry. Tony Clifton got fired from the set of Taxi. He said that was perfect. No one knew that was Andy Kaufman underneath all that makeup. Yeah, and he was like really pointing it up. He's like, I won't even sign my contract unless you let Tony Clifton do a guest spot on Taxi. Yeah, he said that he has to do four of the episodes, and that's in the contract. Yeah, yeah that's how he worked that in. <laughs> and he wanted to get fired. And I heard like the day he went to get fired, he brought gifts for the staff and brought the two hookers in with him and his, his ladies and like, he really played it up and he was like I mean as far as an actor he was totally into whatever character he was playing he gets completely transformed he sold it yeah, I always wonder what would have happened to Andy uh, later on in life where he would have transferred these skills to you know like <laughs> Could he have gone on and on doing just, like, stand-up performances? Like, would he have gotten his own TV show? Like, there's a, only a limited number of venues for this type, this type of thing. Like, his movie career wasn't exactly uh, taking off, you know. And But he was a great actor. Like, I wonder if he would have been able to find something to take him to the next level or what he would have been up to. Yeah, it's hard to say because he liked to do something really off the wall and just play it to the hilt. And that's what he wanted was that reaction to really like his whole wrestling bit. He wanted people to hate him. Like the wrestlers in the ring who played the villains. He wanted to be booed. He really egged people on. And your book focuses on that whole segment of his career, the wrestling. And of course you're wrestling fan. So naturally you would go there. When did you decide I need to write a book about Andy Kaufman. When there was a lot of names getting tossed around, it was all I wanted to do a book about a comedian. I was really thinking about doing a book about the road, comedians on the road, you know. And uh, one night I was at a wrestling event and I ran into Bill After, who was the editor in chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated for a long time. He was the voice of the Pro Wrestling magazine world when I was growing up. So this was like meeting a celebrity, you know. But he was also the guy that introduced Andy Kaufman to Jerry the King Lawler. Heard of my Andre book, and uh, I ended up going to his house doing a, his YouTube show, and it's really cool and everything. And we were talking about comedians, and Andy Kaufman came up, and I was like, oh, you know, I know Bill After. And um, he introduced Andy Kaufman to Jerry the King Lawler, and I started thinking about Andy's pro wrestling career and how you know it impacted wrestling and. And, you know, that was my foray into Andy Kaufman, too, is that they were showing his wrestling stuff on TV. And that's why I stopped and watched it was because I was so into wrestling, you know. That's how I viewed it. And I, I relate to Andy as a pro wrestling fan. I mean, he was obsessed with it the way I am. You know, I have weird obsessions and stuff like that and do things like that, too. And I kind of related to the character of the guy, the creative guy, Andy Kaufman. Well, you show a lot of his creativity in the book about his humor and who his heroes were and how dedicated he was to wrestling and really wanting to do that. And it was such a good read. I picked it up, took it home. Now, my family wanted to watch a movie that night on TV. It's Saturday movie night. And they were watching a beloved film that was very good, what I saw of it, Coco. But the thing was, I was reading this book at the same time. And I watched like the first, I don't know, 20 minutes of Coco. I'm like, this is good. I couldn't put your book down. And I sat there and I read this instead. <laughs> so so your book interested me more than Coco. 
<laughs> so I, I might get some hate mail for that, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I couldn't put it down. It was just, it was just too interesting. I, I was just really taken in by the story because I knew bits and pieces of it, but I didn't know the whole thing. I didn't know everything about it in the behind the scenes. So you did quite a bit of research for your book. And you also did personal interviews with people. Bob Zamuda, who was like his best friend, who saw him do his act, and Keith Elliott Greenberg and Mark James and Michael Kaufman, that's his brother. Was there anything that you learned through those interviews that surprised you, that you did not know about Andy Kaufman? Some of the stuff Zamuda was telling me about the level to which Andy was into wrestling women from a sexual standpoint was surprising. Um, I kind of didn't know that. When I decided to do this book about Andy Kaufman, I didn't realize that, that was going on. You know, it was all kind of new and, and interesting stuff for me. Talking to Andy's brother, Michael, and told me a personal story about him and Andy. And I was just only really interested in Andy's relationship with pro wrestling. Andy's brother was like, great, let's talk about pro wrestling. <laughs> also, you know, what the funniest thing is that I was surprised by how funny Bob Zamuda was. I was like cracking up super hard talking to him on the phone. I don't think he was doing shtick. He was just like talking and being really funny. It must have been a lot of fun to interview all those folks and get all this information together. So once you've done all your interviews and you did your research, how did you lay out the book? Did you set up an outline and then start to work it all the way through? How did you go about that process? Or was it more organic and you just took it where you wanted to go as you were working on it? It kind of worked more that way. And I, I was thinking that it's kind of suitable for Andy Kaufman, master of uh, improv, developing his character live. In that spirit, I will try to improv my way all the way through this book. But truth is, I always have like an outline of how I want it to go and where I want it to be. Uh, in my head. When you're working on uh, material for a really long time, you get really close to it. You are constantly, this needs a little bit here, this needs a little bit there, needs to move this a little bit here and there. You know, you're, it's a very fluid process with the uh, writing and moving things around and adding things here or there when things feel like they need it. So it was a very kind of organic process for me. Like my previous book before that, the book about Tetris was much more structured and acquired more even more like intense research that was like really trying to get information straight with you know what things happened here and there and who all these different people were but the Andy Kaufman book was much more organic it read so well I had a hard time putting it down I really did so I think if anybody's interested in reading about Andy or his wrestling career this is definitely worth checking out the editing process smooths things out also that's kind of how I usually do it, you know, kind of get everything out there and edit and clean everything up a little bit. So you write it, you draw it, and you edit it. Well, you know, I have an editor. You definitely want a second set of eyes. Like you said, you get close to it. I get close to stuff. I need somebody else to check work too. My editor always plays the role of the everyman, the average person on the street coming to it, not knowing anything. Um, that's always like the person I'm playing to. From when you started your research to when you finished this, and this is a pretty lengthy book here. How long did you work on something like this? It takes a while. I mean, it takes somewhere between 12 and 18 months between all the editing and drawing and writing and researching and all that stuff. Are there other comedians that are iconoclastic, you know, ones that come to mind for me that kind of change the game besides Andy Kaufman with his style of improvisation and getting into the role entirely? There was ones like Steve Martin. 
to me that just kind of broke the mold. And really off the wall ones like Mr. Mike on Saturday Night Live doing his Tony Orlando and Dawn with needles in their eyes. And everything was like so-and-so with needles in their eyes and then just screaming and rolling on the floor. <laughs> Anybody else that comes to mind that you could think of who just had that really offbeat, different from everyone else as a comedian? Sam Kinison, you know, he stood out from everybody. He became like the celebrity comedian to filling out stadiums and stuff in the 80s. This example of 80s excess all over the place. His comedy's okay, but he has stuff that's pretty funny, I guess. But it's more about his life off the stage that's interesting to me i would like to do tig nataro as somebody that I think of that uh, in recent years has done kind of groundbreaking material sarah silverman also i really love her body of work and she's been around for a really long time and done a lot of different things you've done andre the giant's life andy kaufman's wrestling career You've done a book on Tetris. You've done other things, too. What's next for you? Well, I'll have another book out next year. It hasn't been announced yet, so I can't really talk about it. It'll be out next April, though. I'm currently working on... This is, will be my first actual graphic novel because it's my first fiction book. And I'm really excited about it. It's a much different process working on a fiction book than it is working on a nonfiction book. Sometimes at the end of a nonfiction project, I like to do fiction. It's just like fun to not have to look everything up that you're writing. <laughs> and not have to back everything up. You can just kind of make everything up. So I'm excited to be working on that right now. Well, so fans can stay up to date on all this that you're working on. How can they follow you and find out what you're working on? And also, how can they pick up your work? What's the best way to get it? I'm on Twitter, Box Brown. Instagram, Box Brown. And I have boxbrown.com too. I'm in the process of updating my website and uh, revamping it. And, you know, you can get my books at any, I would tell people to go to their local comic shop or local indie bookstore and ask for it there if they can. And if not, you know, just anywhere you can get comics and books. And I will put that information in the show notes. So if, you know, people hear this and they, I can't write that down now, it'll be in the show notes. All the information on how to contact my guests through social media and how to get their books. And like you suggested, I bought this from my LCS. Of course, you were there. <laughs> well, why not? But that is the best way to do it if they carry the book. You should help them out and pick up the book that way. Well, before we wrap up, I have my fun questions that I ask all my guests. Just have fun with them. No stress, no pressure. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not writing? You know, it's hard to relax, I think. I really like hanging out with my son. You know, he's a little baby. But uh, as stressful as it can be, I find it to be uh, really relaxing. And, uh, you know, when we give him a bath at night, one of us usually is in the bath with him. After that, I can go to sleep. I feel totally relaxed and chilled. Um, my life is baby, baby, everything right now. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they can be really funny and, and crack you up and make your day. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really does make me happy. I uh, spent all day working steadily on comics. Usually the next thing I'm doing is hanging out with my son. I really enjoy it. Now keep that relaxed state of mind. Close your eyes. Take yourself back. Think back to a birthday that stands out in your memory. Why did you pick that one? What happened at that birthday? Was there a special gift? A special person there? Was it at a special place? Yeah, I always think about my 16th birthday. My mom kind of threw a surprise party for me where she like went out for the evening and then invited my friends over. And I thought that was really cool. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> That's nice. That's really nice. Still thinking back, look around your bedroom. Growing up as a teen, what posters 
or pictures did you have on the wall? I would guess probably wrestling, but what did you have on there? I remember having like Motley Crue posters, Guns N' Roses. I like loved heavy metal uh, when I was a kid. It would have been stuff like that. Now still in your room, and I have this written as an all-ages question because I talked to different people. What music was on your turntable, your Walkman, your iPod, or your iPhone? Now, in your case, it was probably <laughs> your Walkman or your iPod. <laughs> yeah. But you said heavy metal. Definitely like Guns N' Roses was like my favorite band as a kid. And then I kind of grew out of it a little bit. You know, when I was in high school, I just got really into classic rock and whatever. And I got into the Beatles and uh, Simon and Garfunkel and stuff like that that my parents used to listen to. I still listen to that stuff. Picture your collection of books on a shelf. Paperbacks, hardbacks, trade paperbacks. Hypothetically, you get stuck on a deserted island. What is the one book that you would want to have with you while you're on that island? You know, I really like something by Kurt Vonnegut. Maybe uh, The Sirens of Titan. I feel like I could read that a bunch of times. I'm not as well read as you. So what is that about? It's about this guy grows up on Earth, and then he fights in a, the army on Mars, and then eventually he gets separated from everybody, and he lives by himself. There's like a really kind of twist ending to it that I really thought was cool. I just like Kurt Vonnegut's work. It always reads really fast, and it's a lot of jokes. It's really weird. If a toy company were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory? Uh, maybe a T-square. Something like that. Glasses that go on it. All the tools of the trade. Well, we're almost done, so you're probably getting pretty thirsty. What is your beverage of choice? Well, I really like seltzer with a little bit of cranberry juice in there. I also kind of really enjoy Gatorade a lot. Yeah, that's my, my guilty pleasure is Gatorade. <laughs> and final question. Out of all the interviews that you've done, what question have you never been asked? Something people don't know about you that you wish the interviewer would say, Tell me about that. I wish people would ask me about my uh, obsessive toy collection. I collect Battle Beast, which was a toy line from the 80s. It's like robot animal hybrids. So I always collect when I'm at comic shows that have vintage toys a lot and I buy them on eBay and stuff like that. Now, is that something you liked as a kid and now you're like, you want to get back and get more of those? Or Yeah, no, I mean, I liked it when I was a kid, but I like lost all, my, all the ones I had for when I was a kid. But I always wanted all of them. When I was a kid, one of my friends had so many of them. They had like the vehicles and everything. I was so jealous. How close are you to having all of them? Halfway. I don't know if I'll ever get them all. What's the one you're looking for the most? What is the one that is the most difficult to find? I want to get the penguin really bad. It's really expensive on eBay, so I'm hoping that I just come across one one day. Check those garage sales, because sometimes people don't know what they have, especially things like that. You know, everyone goes, oh, yeah, comic books, they're worth a lot of money. But some of the toys, they may have no idea what they have, and... You know, it's really just the diehard collectors that know the ones that are really, really valuable. But, I mean, for you, you have an emotional connection to it. So it's not just about having something that's rare. It's something that takes you back, and you can really enjoy that. And maybe, who knows, someday your kid may enjoy them too. I hope so. It's funny that I have, like, his toys and my toys. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I just want to say thank you very much for being on Creator Talks. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Box Brown, for being on Creator Talks. And folks, if you have not seen Andy Kaufman's performances, check it out on YouTube. I gave you just a taste of what his performance sounded like, but you really need to see his facial expression. So look it up on YouTube. It's out there, and you can see the video and the full performance that goes along with the samples that you heard on this show. 
And please, do yourself a favor. Seek out Is This Guy For Real? The Unbelievable Andy Kaufman by Box Brown. It's a great read. I really enjoyed it. So check it out, and you'll find out a lot of things about Andy Kaufman, and you're going to find that book very hard to put down. Coming up next week on Creator Talks, writer Pornsack Pinchachote and artist Aaron Campbell. They are the creative team on Infidel, a five-part series being published through Image Comics. The first issue came out on March 14th. The next is coming out on April 18th. Pornsack was an editor for Vertigo Comics, and this is his first comic book. Now let me read to you the description of it. Infidel follows an American Muslim woman and her multiracial neighbors who move into a building haunted by entities that feed off xenophobia. So obviously we had a lot to talk about. It was a great conversation. We had a tremendous amount of fun. I'm debating over whether or not I should make it two episodes because it ran so long. We'll see how it goes. If I do run two episodes, don't worry. I'll release one on Thursday next week, and then I'll release the next episode only a few days thereafter. Also, I have expanded my rest and relaxation questions. I ask more questions of my guests about just fun things outside of the comic book that they are working on. So look forward to that in my next interview. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot Devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and -and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe. The content is free. Just as valued are your comments and feedback. You can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, creatortalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts, and videos and other written articles on the website, creatortalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.